welcome to this episode of our Commercial Contracts 22 podcast. It's a series of podcasts by Stevens and Bolton that help to design you and your team, improve your terms and conditions and your master service arrangements or your outsourcing contracts and standard terms. My name is Beverly Flynn, Partner and Head of Commercial and Technology at SMB, and today I'm really pleased to be joined by Catherine Penny and Alistair McDowell. Catherine is a partner in our dispute resolution team and Alistair also is in our commercial disputes team. We're going to talk about the topic of liquidated damages and Catherine perhaps you could just start really by telling us what liquidated damages are. Hi Beverly, thanks for having us on, delighted to be here. So by liquidated damages we mean a fixed amount of money that parties to a contract agree will be payable for breach of a particular contractual term. So it's there in black and white in the contract. And liquidated damages clauses are often included in contracts where it might be difficult for contracting parties to make an accurate prediction of the damages that may flow from a particular breach, such as in the case of late or defective performance, for example. Yes, no, that's true, because I do know that often when we're negotiating IT contracts or um, service delivery contracts, that we may have either credits or liquidated damages in the back of the document under the schedules. Um, and I can see that it, it can make sense in, in times and places. So, Alistair, perhaps you could tell us a little bit of what, about why commercial entities would want to include LDs or liquidated damages in their T's and C's? Yes, of course. I think the principal reason is that a liquidated damages clause give both parties certainty. So if one party breaches any contractual provision, then the other party can seek damages through the courts. But assuming they succeed, they have to prove the amount of their damages, which can be either very high or almost negligible, depending on a number of factors, not least the view of the judge. Commercial entities would in some circumstances rather have a definite figure for breach of a term of a contract than an unknown figure that's potentially lower but also potentially higher. Exactly and you know you talked about a figure being very high or negligible or it could of course be somewhere in the middle and one of the advantages of a liquidated damages clause is that the innocent party the party trying to recover their losses can rely on that clause without needing to prove that they've suffered a loss or that they've mitigated that loss, or having to deal with issues such as whether the loss was reasonably foreseeable. It's essentially a shortcut to recovering damages, because without a liquidated damages clause, you'd have to prove all of that and jump through all those hurdles. Yeah, so in fact, um, a liquidated damages clause could conceivably allow an innocent party to recover more than the losses that they actually suffered? In theory, yes, but it could also cut both ways so it could yeah. have the effect of limiting the amount that recovers as well. Yeah and I think that as long as contracting parties are aware of this and the clauses are used and drafted appropriately then that can be seen as something of a benefit actually. Um, it must be advantageous for both parties to know the precise financial consequences of breaching a contractual provision and in fact if the consequences are that the breaching party might have to pay more then it might do absent such a clause, it might make it less likely to breach that particular term. I noticed that you said drafted appropriately. Can you maybe just talk us through some of the danger areas when drafting LDs? Um, let me jump in there, Alistair, sorry. So I think the most common challenge or danger area is that the clause amounts to what we refer to as a penalty, which is unenforceable. Mm -hmm. By penalty, what we mean is that the amount specified 
in the liquidated damages clause is too much to be a genuine pre-estimate of potential losses for that particular breach. Yeah, and just to add to that, if I may, I think it all goes back to the idea that damages in English law shouldn't be punitive. And so liquidated damages clauses exist to allow innocent parties to protect their commercial position. The purpose for damages for breach of contract is to put the innocent party in the position that it would have been had the contract been performed, not to give it a windfall and to punish the wrongdoer. A liquidated damages clause should therefore be a genuine estimate of the potential damages caused by a particular breach. I think there is a tension here, though, because the courts are pretty unwilling to interfere with parties' freedom to contract, especially if those two parties are two commercial entities. And so this has meant that the courts have historically been a bit reluctant to define quite what a penalty clause is. Yes, I, I can see that. So if I were looking at my T's and C's or I were going to um, draft them to try and work out if it, if a liquidated damages clause might be a penalty clause, I mean, how would you go about that? How would I go about that? Well, it isn't always easy, unfortunately. It, it will depend on the precise wording of the clause and checking for penalty clauses is, is really an exercise best undertaken by a legal professional. Now, having said that, we can provide some guidance. And the first step is to consider whether the clause in question is actually a liquidated damages clause at all. A liquidated damages clause is usually identifiable as a secondary obligation under a contract that's triggered only when a primary obligation has been breached. So it operates upon, to use the technical term, a breach of a primary obligation. Yes, that's right. So bear with us while we're getting a little bit technical here. But to, to give you a practical example, a clause that requires payment of one price for goods with a, within a particular period, but a higher price if the payment isn't made within that period will probably not be a liquidated damages clause. You're getting a discount for early payment in that scenario. So that wouldn't be a penalty clause um, because the requirement to pay for the goods is, the, is a primary rather than a secondary obligation. The higher price there isn't operating on a breach. It's just providing two alternative pricing structures. Yeah, because they need to be paid for in any event. It's just a question of when. Exactly, exactly. exactly. And so um, what I take from this is that actually everything hinges on the construction of the clause and whether the clause is liquidated damages clause or a penalty will actually depend on what it provides for and not what the clause is referred to as. So simply referring to a clause as liquidated damages itself will not necessarily mean um, it is liquidated damages. It could still conceivably be a penalty clause. Well, precisely, yes. And we mentioned earlier that the courts have historically been reluctant to set out what is or isn't a penalty clause. Uh, however, a recent decision in the Supreme Court has given a little more clarity on this area. So a clause will be an unenforceable penalty where the obligation it imposes on the contract breaker is out of all proportion to any legitimate interest of the innocent party in enforcing the primary obligation. So just to unpack that a bit, the key here is that the innocent party should be interested in enforcing the contract and not in punishing the defaulting party and gaining a windfall. Liquidated damages clauses are a difficult balancing act, I think we can see. If the sum of damages is too high relative to other contractual sums, the innocent party is arguably going to be more motivated by the payment due under the liquidated damages clause 
than if the contract were carried out in accordance with its terms. And drawing some of that together, um, if the clause that we're talking about is one that's triggered only when one party breaks the contract and doesn't actually protect the commercial interests of the innocent party and or it provides for a remedy which is disproportionate to the innocent party's legitimate interests, then it's likely to be an unenforceable penalty. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I suppose the real question is, is how can a party determine what a court may deem is within its legitimate interests? Um, I suppose that will be fact specific. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I think it all really comes down to whether a clause is commercially justifiable, though. And it's also worth bearing in mind that a clause that acts as a deterrent may be commercial as long as it's not meant to be punitive. It's really the punitive element of a clause and whether it takes the innocent party's interest away from it being complied with that are the really key factors in determining whether it's penal in nature. Yes, yes, I can see that. And I suppose um, really it's a question of assessing each clause and each outcome um, on a case by case basis. I think. I'd just like to talk a little bit more specifically about service credits, which I mentioned at the beginning. Um, some people don't necessarily appreciate there's a, a difference between a credit and a payment obligation. And we're increasingly seeing ways in which services offered by a supplier and service credits are used as a mechanism for actually price adjustment. So service credits is a really good example of one of those. Um, and I think, as I mentioned, they're really common in IT contracts and outsourcing agreements and um, they're often formulated as a reduction in the contract price by a purchaser against outstanding or future contracts um, if the service level is not met. And the, the point here is I think Beverly that the service credit might themselves operate as a liquidated damages clause or it might just be that different pricing mechanism that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, it, it all comes down to the drafting of the clause and it will all depend on how the, the clause itself works rather than what the clause says it is, as we talked about earlier. So if the service credits are triggered by a breach of an obligation in the contract, then there's potential for them to be a liquidated damages clause. And so the financial remedy will be there, as in the liquidated damages will be there as a remedy rather than um, a strict damages claim. But if the service credits don't operate on a breach, then they're likely simply to be considered the price adjustment mechanism. Yeah, and it's worth bearing in mind that because they might be considered liquidated damages clauses, they're also exposed to the possibility of being challenged as penalty clauses if they impose an exorbitant or unconscionable detriment on the supplier. And I think a good a good way to ensure against the credits, the service credits being considered penalty clauses is to record at the time the contract is being drafted the rationale behind it, showing engagement with the other party on how the mechanism is going to work and why the service credits being offered are reasonable. This applies to all liquidated damages clauses more generally. It's good practice to keep good records as to why the clauses have been drafted in the way that they have. And essentially being able to show you're working um, is going to be vital if a party is going to be able to defend a challenge that the clause is, is punitive and a penalty. A little bit about lim like limitation on liability clauses, really. I, I think if you can demonstrate they've been negotiated, it's harder to claim that they're um, quite so punitive because you've had a hand in negotiating them. 
but um, if they're given to you as a set piece and the supplier doesn't have those workings as to why they think they're a set piece, I think that could be slightly more difficult for the supplier. Um, okay, so Catherine, maybe you could just summarise your thoughts on liquidated damages clauses, maybe? Yeah, happy to. I think the message is that liquidated damages clauses can be extremely useful if you use them properly and if they're drafted carefully. But uh, there needs to be an air of caution there. Beware that poorly drafted or overly greedy clauses um, giving you loads of damages because they may lead to expensive and time consuming litigation and involving lawyers like Alistair and me, which may lead to um, a court concluding that they're unenforceable penalties. Oh, always painting the bright side of the picture. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, RDR team. So <laughs> thank you, Alistair, too. And I'm just going to thank all our listeners for tuning in. And um, please do listen out for the next uh, SMB commercial contracts topic, which will be up and coming soon. Thank you. <laughs>